This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Give God a praise. Mark chapter 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Come on, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name this morning, we ask that you help us to hear and believe. We ask that you help us to believe and repent. We ask you to help us today to repent and proclaim. Your kingdom has come near. Help us to respond to your kingdom. Help us to know what you've called us to do. Not that you just called us out of darkness into light, but you've called us to be the light. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So good to be here this morning. Megs, Charlie, and Seth are back home. Charlie took her first steps while I was here. Isn't that crazy? They recorded it, though, so praise God for that. I got to see it on video, but she's a little busybody. She's a lot more sassy than Seth was at her age. She grunts at me and Megan. She's got my eyebrows. That's about all she's got. She looks just like Megan with my eyebrows. Seth is different. You know, you can look at Seth and you just know. He's got mama's eyes and daddy's thighs. You're like, yep. That's David's boy right there. It's always good to be here, man. We did. We had such a great time the last few days, and God...
just really moved in a powerful way. I know he did for me, and he met me right here, and I'm just excited for everything he did for the guys that came with me as well. And, uh, man, the ladies are holding down the fort back home this morning, so pray for them. Send all your prayers <laughs> toward them because they've got another service coming up as well. Um, I'm excited to preach Mark. I love this book for many reasons, and I'll tell you a few things about this, this book, this author, um, why I love it. Because this book was written by a young man named John Mark. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to author what could have been the first or the second gospel written. Um, he was the spiritual son of Peter. Most scholars think that first, or John, or excuse me, I keep messing that up. John Mark, who wrote Mark, was the spiritual son of Peter. Therefore, the gospel of Mark is written from the perspective of Peter. Um, it's very clear what he wants to accomplish he wants to accomplish belief and repentance. He wants his kinsmen, the Jewish Christians and the non-Christian Jews, to become Christians. He wants to build the faith of the Jewish Christians. He wants to persuade the non-Christian Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah that's been promised all their life. And so you can see that when you read the Gospels. Luke more than likely was the third one. He would have borrowed from Matthew and Mark using their material. John probably written after all of it, more than likely the last book written of all the New Testament books, but our New Testament isn't put in chronological order, it's put in order of category. So you have your Gospels, your history, your epistles, general epistles, and your apocalypse. So you have these men inspired by the Holy Spirit who are intending to persuade a specific audience, and so they're using their own experiences being led by the Holy Spirit, writing these things down so that not only the people they cared about in their present time, but also future people could know that Jesus is the Christ. And John Mark is a unique character. He shows up many times in the New Testament in the book of Acts. He was the cousin of Barnabas. He was the son of the woman Mary who, who had a community group in her home where Peter fled to whenever the Holy Spirit enabled him to escape from prison. He was the young man who was literally, uh, who ran out of his own clothing the night that Jesus was arrested. And he's also the young man that went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and who left them at the end of that missionary journey causing a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas causing them to divide. So this young man who wrote this gospel we're reading this morning has been right in the middle of just about every major event in the New Testament kind of flying under the radar. And he brings us a powerful gospel filled with some fast language. That's one of the things people will say about the way it's written. It just moves quickly. In fact, he uses the word immediately way too much. Like, have you ever had a friend that just says things too often as a space filler? Like, I have this one friend who says, dude, literally? <laughs> he always feels like he has to put that so that I'll believe him more or something. But this is Mark's habit. He says, immediately and immediately and immediately. And you'll notice it happens a lot. But he cared deeply about persuading his kinsmen, his family, his friends that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the one that's been promised from the beginning. He's the Messiah who's come, and he tries to give evidences from his experiences and from the experiences of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. And not only that, but because Jesus is the Messiah, the kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, repent. So for you and I, 
reading this today, what the author wants us to hear, what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear, is that Jesus is the Christ. But there's something a little deeper that comes clear when you read through this chapter. It's not just that we can know God through Christ, but we can know who we are through Christ. I can know what my purpose is through Christ. Not only can I know God through Christ, but I can know who I am through Christ. And so some of us in the room may be on the fence about who Jesus is. My intention today is to move you toward a relationship with Jesus. That no matter what, you take a step toward him. If you've been in a relationship with Jesus for some time, but you struggle with knowing who you are in him, my hope is that this message will move you toward him as well, and that you will believe in the promises the scripture says you have in Christ, and that you will know that it is by grace and grace alone that you have those promises, that there's nothing you can do to earn his love or attention. In fact, on your dirtiest day, the day that you break all the promises to yourself and break all the rules you've made for yourself, if you make yourself available to be used by him, he will shine a light through you. On your worst day, where you've dropped every ball, broken every promise, the kingdom is coming near, and because the kingdom is coming near, he doesn't need people who are perfectly able. He needs people who will make themselves available. That's it. He needs people who will say yes to the calling. First to the calling and belief that he is the son. Second to the calling that the spirit now lives within me. So when I speak on his behalf, because the kingdom is coming near, it has nothing to do with my good behavior that enables power to flow through me. It has everything to do with the kingdom is coming near. Because again, these people did not believe and he lived among them. He performed mighty works among them. He performed signs and wonders among them. Yet they did not believe. So for those of us who, like Jews, seek a sign, we oftentimes may miss who Jesus really is. And maybe some of us, like Greeks, seek wisdom. We may miss because we want to hear worldly wisdom. But if we realize he's the Messiah by way of the Scripture that we hear the persuasive case and the fulfillment of prophecy and things foretold, then we will realize that we are all citizens and children adopted into a family and a kingdom, and we are now advocates of that kingdom. We are advocates of that family, and he will use us to add more people to the family. He will use us to bring more citizens into the kingdom. It has nothing to do with Good old me. It has everything to do with great Jesus, King Jesus. And he wants me to believe in who he says he is, but he also wants me to believe in what he says I am, who he says I am, what he says I can be. So when you read this story, you hear something that's pretty common to all of us. It says that he goes back to his hometown 
He's been traveling in the area surrounding his hometown. His baptism has taken place. Heaven was ripped open. The Father spoke, affirming him. He's been in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. He's overcome Satan. He's been moving from village to village, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. And now he's come back to his own hometown. And all they can focus on is the fact that he grew up there. They're looking at his sisters and his brothers and his family that are there. And they're asking themselves, where did this wisdom come from? Now, if you want to do a little deeper study, go over to Luke 4 this week and look at the parallel between these two stories. Luke would have used Mark, used his account as a source text when writing his gospel, but he also brought in the eyewitness testimonies of many other people. So he tells the same story with a little more depth. And what Jesus did is he goes into his local synagogue, opens the scroll of Isaiah, and says to the people there, these scriptures that I've read to you today have been fulfilled right before you. I'm the one this is referring to. I'm the one these scriptures are promising the one who would come. And so at that point, they're saying, where does he get this authority? Where does he get this wisdom? He's, he's from here. And the account in Luke says that they try to throw him off a cliff, but he moves through them, moving on to the next town. And just like Mark says here, he healed all. In his hometown, he could heal some, but the next town, he could heal all. So you think about the similarities between you and I, it's pretty simple, especially if you're a southerner. Everybody here grew up with Jesus in their hometown. If you grew up in the south, everybody grew up with Jesus in their hometown. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but Jesus was around. Right? He was always there in some way. Somebody was telling me about him in some way. All my, you know, I had family in ministry and gospel singers and pastors and evangelists and missionaries. and So he was always there some way. And I had friends, you know, who went to church with their family ritualistically, be hanging out with me on Saturday, go to church on Sunday with their, their parents. Occasionally I'd go with them if I spent the night, that type of thing. So he was always there. You had those few people that I grew up with, who you could tell had a sincere relationship with him. But most of the time it was ritualistic. People had inherited a faith from their parents, but it wasn't their personal faith. They identified as Christian, but nothing about their life or the things they were passionate about or their decision-making. You could tell that their daily decisions, Jesus didn't have much say in that. Jesus's presence in their life did not weigh very heavily on their decision making. What he thought of their decision making did not weigh heavily upon their hearts. So, for a lot of us, it has been easy to dismiss who he is because of who has told us about him. That's something to think about. A lot of us have missed who he is because of who has told us about him. Sometimes our hometown can have a big effect on him. And Mark, our author, again, he knows this. And you have to remember, he's writing these events after the fact. So in a sense, he's writing to an audience that lived later 
than these people in Jesus' hometown who reject him. So the reason Mark put this in this gospel was a way of warning future audiences, don't repeat these people's same mistakes. Consider the Christ through the scriptures, not through what you think about him or what others have told you about him. Consider the Christ through the scriptures and what he says about himself and the signs that he has worked that confirm he is who he says he is. So this is a moment to think for all of us. Yes, we may have all grown up with Jesus in our own hometown, but how many miracles by way of just proximity, being near to people who love Jesus, being in communities that have so many churches, have we been witness to or heard of Jesus doing miraculous works in people's lives, maybe people you love, maybe people you're very close to, who you hold very dear, who have a powerful relationship with God, yet it has not been enough for you to bow, to hit your knees, and declare that Jesus really is the Son of God. So when you put it in that perspective, all of a sudden, we are behaving exactly like these people behave. What comes to mind for me is my grandma. I've talked about her here before. Her name was Geneva Pitts. You can't get much more country than that. She had 12 kids, 42 grandkids, and she was an absolute saint. I'd pray to her if we were allowed to, but we can't. That was a good joke. All right. I loved listening to my grandma pray. She would cry every time she started to pray. We'd have everybody packed into one living room, and somebody would say, Mama, will you pray for the food? And she'd say, yes. <laughs> and so she had that long Athens draw, and she'd, and she'd start praying, and she'd say, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> she couldn't get it, just a few words out. And she was this person that when you hugged her, she felt like a pillow, right? And many of you know the story. When I was born, I was born with uh, a brain hemorrhage. And the doctors told my parents, you know, that I would not, I was just, they did not give my parents a good diagnosis, a good prediction. They still don't understand today, you know, the fact that I live a normal quality life. One of the most impactful parts of that story was my mom, who had been out of church for years, the moment that the scary report started coming in and this newborn little boy is having seizures and the doctors are telling them we're going to have to insert a shunt and drain the blood off his spine. He'll be confined to a wheelchair the rest of his life. He won't be able to, I mean, they're just telling them everything. My dad is, who has no faith at all, is on the wall, sliding down the wall, just crying his eyes out. And my mom, who has this just foundation of faith in her heart that she hasn't been standing on for years, picks up the phone and she calls Neva. Right? We need Neva up here. Because everybody knew, everybody knew what God had done in and through her life. And there was such a great confidence that people had in her that when there was something that people were serious about and they needed God to intervene for them, they would call her because she was a pillar of faith in our family. Now, I imagine everybody right now is probably thinking of somebody similar to Neva, right? 
So my point in bringing those people up to you is to remind you, Jesus has been working all around you your whole life. You might have grown up with him. He might have been in your hometown. You might, have had, you, might be, you might be better than anybody at finding ways to ignore him. But he has been working signs and wonders among you your whole life. He has given you sign after sign after sign that he is who he says he is. And so for those of you in the room who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, who you, you don't have this desire in yourself to respond to his message. Because the message of the kingdom is this, that Jesus, his arrival, it suggests that the end of all things is coming. That he is going to conclude this age. And this age will end with the coming of a kingdom. And so he came as God's son to show that God desires to reconcile the whole world that unconditionally brought his love by sending his one and only son to be the Lamb of God to atone for the sins of the world. And the way he confirmed that to us was by raising him from the dead. So all people intrinsically who know they have failed, they have sinned, they have harmed other people and themselves. The moral code they wrote for themselves in their heart, they have not kept. They've broken promises to themselves. They hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. On and on and on I could go. But here comes Jesus saying, I am the only one who can truly say what is good and what is evil. It is not within human ability to determine what is good and what is evil. And also, it is not within human ability to live up to the moral standard needed in order to have a relationship with my heavenly father therefore I have come to fulfill the law that would have been used to condemn you so that you can have life and life more abundantly therefore repent and believe in me the fulfillment of all prophecy and the one who can fulfill the law so that you can have life Believe in me. The kingdom is coming near. Because you have sinned and can't fix yourself, repent and turn and follow me. This is the message of the kingdom. It's coming near, therefore follow me. So what that means is, is when you understand and believe that you intrinsically, morally are broken and cannot fix yourself, the one who created you came so that you could be redeemed, so that you could have life, so that your sin would not hold you as a slave, but you would be a slave to God's purposes and righteousness. Therefore, I repent. I turn. I change my way. I stop walking on a way of darkness, and I walk in the way of light, not by my power, but by the power he's placed inside of me. And it's the message of the resurrection the cornerstone of our faith that gives people confidence that that message is true. There had been many people who had come. They say this in Acts 4 and 5. Many people had come and said, I am the Christ, follow me. There was a man named Gamaliel who spoke up at one point when they were deciding what they were going to do with the apostles who were preaching the Christ. Gamaliel, Paul's spiritual mentor in the law, speaks up and says, Men, we best be careful. For there have been many before these men who've come declaring themselves to be something, and many followed them, but after some time, their movement dissolved. But there's something different here. 
And we may find ourselves fighting against God if we try to silence them. Later, these same group of people said, these are the ones who have turned the world upside down. Their reputation changed again and again and again because they went out believing just as they had here when he gave them the authority to do so that the kingdom was coming near. Not that they were something special to be marveled, but the kingdom was coming near. And because the kingdom was coming near, they needed to proclaim the good news that the Son of God had come to the cross and resurrected, confirming to us our sins are forgiven. So I hope you will believe and turn to that Jesus today. I pray that today something transformational happens in your heart and you respond to begin a relationship with Jesus or recommit yourself to a relationship with Jesus. But there's a whole other category inside of this story that's important for all of us to hear. And it's that these young men and these people that Jesus had called to follow him who had no formal training, who were dropouts in seminary school, who were the left behinds on the chosen list of people to teach the law, are scooped up by Jesus and put on his team. And he gives them a piece of the power he's been using to go and tell others the kingdom is coming near. Here's a way that you could think about it. Heaven is coming for all of us, and in that place there will be no pain, there will be no tears, there will be no sin, there will be life and life eternal. And what Jesus came and did is he proclaimed the good news of that kingdom to come, and he gave people a taste of that kingdom. So a blind eye was able to see, a deaf ear was able to hear, a dead body was able to live. That's a taste of a kingdom to come. So then he takes crazy people like you and me and puts that kingdom inside of us. And he says, oh, that means you're really crazy. <laughs> and he says, this is how I'm going to finish this thing off. This is how I'm going to wrap this thing up. This is how I'm going to roll this age up like a scroll. By putting my kingdom power inside of imperfect people. So that perfect love could be shown through imperfect people. So that imperfect people could be loved by imperfect people. So that they could see that the love of God covers a multitude of sin. So that they could see God has been gracious and merciful to all of humanity by giving them what they don't deserve and not giving them what they do. So that people would experience God's love through you and I and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Showing them that if he can use you, he can use me. If he can use me, he can use you. He's not looking for your abilities. He's looking for your availability. Make yourself available to him. The kingdom is coming near. And he will use you to be a sign and a wonder to others that the gospel is true. So you think about this. What did he say? And he says this at the end of the gospel of Mark. He says, for those who believe, they will work signs and wonders. 
They will lay hands on the sick and they will be made well. They will speak in other tongues. They will, they will even hold serpents in their hands at times. They will, they will, there will be signs surrounding these people that there's something unique and powerful about them. It says at the end of this gospel that as they went out speaking and preaching the forgiveness of sins, that the Lord worked with them. What an amazing verse. So think about this for you and I today. Pastor Mark teaches this better than anybody I know. The spiritual power that is at work in us and works through us shows people that the resurrection really took place. That resurrection power is still alive on the inside of us. If you look at every Great Commission account, Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, all of them say the same thing. I am sending you to the ends of the earth to be my witnesses. But Acts 1.8, man, oh man, does it fire me up because it says this, I have clothed you with power to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. So what does that mean for you and I? The power, resurrection power, kingdom power, was given to imperfect, unqualified people to show that the kingdom is coming near and through Christ our sins really can be forgiven. He's given us power to complete the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not complete, therefore the power is still available now, today, in and through you. Not depending upon your good behavior, but depending upon your willingness to be used and tell people the good news, the kingdom is coming near and we can have confidence that the king Jesus himself initiated this movement of a kingdom when he came in the form of human flesh and lived among men and died sinners death and was raised to life so we could be also and so in our lives what many of us have been taught is man we should be raising the dead we should be praying for the sick and they be made well. We should lay our hands on the deaf and they hear, the blind and they see. Absolutely. But let's begin here. Let's pray for the person we work beside. Let's just put it a little bit more down here and let's have a witness to our neighbor so that when we are in a time of need, like Neva, somebody will text you and say, will you pray for me? I believe in the Jesus you believe in. I have confidence in your relationship. I know, if anything I know, is something real is in you, therefore I need you to pray for me. What if our desire was just that we would offer a taste of heaven in our life? Not that we would achieve some kind of fame or a spectacle. I mean, this is the heart of a man named Simon in a town. He said, ooh, man, I like what you guys are doing. Let me pay you and give me this power. Peter turns and says, brother, I hope God will forgive you. That's wicked what you just said. You want fame. You want attention. You want people to marvel at you. You've missed it. It's not about that. It's about world evangelization. It's about the gospel going forward. And when you are witnessing to somebody, telling them their sins can be forgiven, you can also meet their needs. Which is why he also said, if you love me, feed the hungry. Yeah. 
Clothe the naked. Visit those who are in prison. Care for those who are sick. And if they're sick, pray for them that I might heal them. The kingdom has come near. And we can know who we are through Christ. And we can understand that he's called us to be the light of the world. And to shine the light of eternal life into the darkness of death. Because no matter how good someone's life is in their own eyes on this earth, death awaits them. And the darkness of death and the shadow of death is looming over them and they are moving toward it sometimes quicker than they know. Therefore, Jesus came and satisfied for us the most important need any of us will ever have. Even if we were to become sick in this life and God works a miracle letting us taste heaven and heals us of that sickness, death's shadow still is looming over us unless we know the Christ who was resurrected and will also resurrect us, bringing us into eternal life. So the greatest need that everyone has is to hear the gospel good news that through Jesus my sins can be forgiven. And if I understand that's the most important thing they need to hear, and they have sickness in their body or hunger in their belly, I will be ready to pray. I will be ready to provide and do whatever it is I can do to show them two things. Jesus really is who he said he is. And we can all be who he says we are. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask today that you would help us to hear and believe to believe and turn, to turn and testify, to hear and believe, to believe and turn, to turn and testify, telling others this good news, their sins can be forgiven. If their bellies are empty, help us to fill them. If their bodies are sick, give us courage to pray for them. If their hearts are heavy, give us courage to comfort them. If they have a need, give us discernment to know what it is to show them the love, power, and community of Jesus. Resurrection power on the inside of us that tells others the resurrection really took place. And if the resurrection really took place, then I can have confidence my sins are forgiven. Jesus is the one who has the authority to forgive sin. Jesus is the one who can raise a dead person to life. And he is the only one who can raise the dead to eternal life at the end of this age. Lord, give us an urgency. Every person in this room, if they don't begin, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, that they today would begin a relationship with Jesus. If they have a relationship with Jesus, that they would begin to care, that they would begin to provide, they would begin to proclaim. I heard two very simple words as I was coming here today, what I was supposed to tell you. It's this, turn today. Not tomorrow, turn today. This is the moment. By the proclamation of this message you've heard and the hearing of your ears, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And our author, Mark, he's warning you, don't be like the people in Jesus' hometown. 
Don't let this just be another moment where you dismiss the message of Jesus. Open your heart to pay attention. Open your mind to understand. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. Perhaps there's an urgency. I feel like an old school preacher right now. Perhaps there's an urgency because God knows our days. And death is appointed for all men. And rightfully, for an entire generation, preachers would say, you don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You don't know if you'll make it home from here. They would say 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And it's because it's true. Every time someone walks in the doors of a church, man, it's the first time we've seen them. We should be so hospitable. But it might be the last time we see them. Therefore, we should proclaim the good news. And I just believe today there's an urgency in this moment for somebody. Those of you who know me know I've never said anything like this at the end of a message, but I feel this so strongly in my heart. The word of the Lord to you today is turn today. Maybe for some of you there's just been this opportunity, this obvious open door between you and someone else for the gospel. You know that God has put you in their life to show them the love, power, and community of Jesus. The message is same for you. Turn today. Like those disciples, man, go out from Jesus with power and provide and proclaim and pray. like this before you've been able to move past this quickly I'm not going anywhere quickly right now because I just believe the power of the Holy Spirit is here to convict us of sin to convict us of righteousness he is drawing you to himself I imagine some of you may feel your heart just pounding in your chest do not ignore those things those are God's good gracious evidences to you that he loves you he wants you to respond to what you've heard. Now, I want to pray a prayer over you. And my encouragement to you is just that for those of you who know Jesus, and you know there are people around you in your life that God's called you to shine a light toward, I just want you to receive this. I want to pray this over you this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that they would fear you and walk in your ways, that they would eat the fruit of the labor of their hands, they would be joyful in their home, their children would be full of promise, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, being used in its gifts, being clothed in its power, bearing its fruit, that they would proclaim, that they would provide, and they would they would be ready at a moment's notice to do all three, proclaim, provide, and pray, to show people, to show people through action, the kingdom has come near. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm going to
going to ask nobody moving around, nobody standing up, because this is a sacred moment between somebody and the Lord. I want to invite you to begin or recommit to a relationship with Jesus. I don't believe it's a mistake you're here. I believe this moment was meant for you. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I want to invite everybody to pray this prayer with us because Luke 15 says, when one person makes a decision to follow Jesus, there's a celebration in heaven among angels. So let's join in on that celebration and support by praying with these people who are making a relationship with Jesus today, who are receiving him as their personal Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you. Pray this with your whole heart. And I believe Jesus is going to meet you right here today to be born again that your blind eyes are going to be open. Your deaf ears are going to hear. You're going to go from sleep to awake, from death to life, right now in this moment. Pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that the Father raised you from the dead. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to tell others about you. Help me to love others the way you have loved me. Help me to do for others like you have done for me. Help me to forgive others the way you have forgiven me. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place today. Come on. Hallelujah. Pastor Mark said, you guys know what to do during communion. So I just want to invite you to do that, and we're going to dismiss here in just a second. But let me just remind you of something that I share every Sunday. Pastor Mark asked me to share here. The night that Jesus started communion, you know what he said? He said, a kingdom is coming. He picked up the bread. He picked up the wine. He said, a kingdom is coming. And I will not eat or drink of this again until that kingdom comes. But while you wait and when you come together again do this in remembrance of me they were celebrating Passover and in all years past in their lives a lamb was in the middle of the table but that night the lamb was sitting with them he took the bread and he took the wine and he said this is my body which is broken for you remember me when you share in this this is my blood shed for you so that a better and new covenant could be created between God and man. He washed the disciples' feet that night. He shared communion with them. And among them was Judas, who in just a few moments was going to betray him. It was Peter, who in just a few hours was going to deny him. And was the rest of the disciples, who in just a few hours were going to scatter and leave because of his arrest. But you know what he said to him? When you come together again, do this in remembrance of me. You know what that means? That means he's factored your faults and failures into his plan. And you are always welcome at the Lord's table. What's important is you do what he said to do. You remember him. You come up here and you just pop some bread and drink some juice. You've dishonored him. You've dishonored yourself. But if you remember, if you reflect, and you are reverent, and you take the Lord's body, you take the Lord's blood, you're a part of the kingdom. That's what's so beautiful too. It's not just us in this room who are doing this, but Christians everywhere. Right now, in fact, about this exact time, my church, hundreds of miles from here, are doing this exact same thing. So you know what? In this moment, 
we're all the kingdom as we lift up the name of Jesus. Father, we love you today. Thank you for what you've done among us. Thank you for the word you've spoken to us, the worship that we enjoyed together. And I pray today we would apply these things in our life. We would just admire this day, but we would apply the things we take away from this day, that this would be a significant day in our lives. We thank you for what you've done. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 